Hey, podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. Happy Thursday morning, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. Welcome back to the podcast, boss man. Yo. Got an amazing episode today. Just a few weeks ago, we were talking about personal wealth, the lifestyle ladder, different levels of wealth and what they unlock. We got an email from today's guest, has achieved incredible heights in terms of personal wealth and entrepreneurship. The email was entitled The Number. And the punchline of the email is more money, more problems. And we are going to talk about that on today's show. But first, we're going to do some news at the top. No podcast this week would be complete without a mention of chat GPT. If you haven't been on Twitter or tech news this week, everybody's talking about it. It's one of the most exciting launches of anything in a very long time. Ian, have you played with chat GPT just yet? Indeed. Yes. It's quite amazing. It's mind-blowing, in fact. It's like, one of these things, like you hear about this AI and then all of a sudden you see it and you're like, oh my gosh, like this is, it's actually better than I thought it would be. It's going to destroy jobs. <laughs> I spent so much time on ChatGPT this week, Ian, that I didn't write an intro for the podcast. So I asked ChatGP, can you write an introduction for the Tropical MBA podcast? It said, sure. Welcome to the Tropical MBA podcast. I'm quoting where we explore the world of entrepreneurship and lifestyle design. In each episode, we bring you interviews with successful business owners, investors, and thought leaders, as well as practical advice and insights to help you build a business and a lifestyle that you love. Join us, that's me and Ian, as we share inspiring stories, valuable lessons, and proven strategies for creating freedom and wealth on your own terms. Whether you're just starting out on your entrepreneurial journey or you're looking to take your business to the next level, the Tropical MBA podcast is something for you. So grab a drink, kick back, and get ready to be inspired and empowered to create the life and business you've always dreamed of. Is it listening to this show? I think it I is. I am shook. See, case in point, out of the job. I think it did a better job than you can do. Sorry. I got to find a new way to provide value. I mean, look at my input. I typed in five seconds. If you would have had, for me to write something that good, it would have taken five to 10 minutes or something. Hey, you also know, know that there's, the technology already exists where you can speak your voice and it can emulate your voice. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So you're 100% out of the job. Well, more on that shortly. One thing we currently still have a monopoly on is our own personal experience. Let's share some of that at the top here before we get into today's app. Today is one of the most exciting product launches for us internally in a long time. In fact, I kind of look back at the calendar and maybe since late 2019 when we launched Flat Rate Recruiting over at Remote First Recruiting. So this week, as we've talked about, DC Scale is live. And as you listen to this, this is available exclusively to DC members. But if you want to get put on a waiting list for the future, if everything goes well, just email me, dan, at tropicalmba.com. The punchline of this product, Ian, is essentially our business doubled last year and things got complicated. And all of a sudden, Rather than just sales marketing, sales marketing launch, we got really fascinated by operations, management, business building, and just sort of our own personal hodge of like, 
what are the best practices out there? What do books like Traction say? What do books like Scaling Up say? What do professional coaches say? And kind of we all pulled it together and thought, man, there's not really like this stuff positioned for our community. There's a big need for it in our community. We're super passionate about it. Let's try it out and see how it goes. And we're going to be going along on that journey. You're going to be one of our key integrators in that product, Ian. And our own company is going to be a customer of DC Scale, which is pretty cool. So sort of like dog fooding the process ourselves and continuing to build out our operations. I mean, even Ian, when I think to like this morning's team call and like what happened there and comparing that to a team call four months ago, yeah, it's like night and day. It's really powerful for us, at least so far, you know, just in the way that we're operating and the way that we're thinking about the business and like our level of uh, strategy, we've gotten better at it. And it's only been a couple of months of implementing some of these new processes. So just want to mention, um, I'll be around for the first cohort, Dan, of DC Scale. And we brought on a pretty amazing implementer to the team. And she's going to be helping us walk through these exercises. The course is going to last from January until April. And then we're going to have a big party in Mexico City when it's all over. Yeah, can't wait to see how it goes. We'll have news updates in the coming weeks. We'll have an annual roundup episode coming up here in a few weeks. So if you're interested in more news, uh, just a couple quick items here. I had it on my news item to give a Dynamite Jobs update. And I've got two updates. I was going to say the bootstrappers have not capitulated. Like we're still hiring. But that's all of a sudden not true. Last month, we had our lowest number of job posts in 12 months. So finally, I mean, our recruiting is still going just as strong. So maybe it's like that like mid-market company that really likes to use our job board. They're capitulating a little bit because we saw it earlier in the year with big tech and now all the layoffs. Now we're starting to see it from mid-market. It's going to be interesting next year to see how this all affects the bootstrappers, the lifestyle business owners, the tropical MBA audience. Well, I'll tell you, just looking at this AI tool, (laughs) I can see why there's a lot less jobs. There's no more copywriting jobs on the site. (laughs) I don't need to hire anybody to write product descriptions for me. I just need chat. So that's the news. Uh, We'll be back in a couple weeks with our annual report episode, pulling together all kinds of sort of wins and losses from the year and set some new goals and talk about also some of our favorite guests, concepts, and episodes that sort of have endured with us. A lot of uh, interesting thought threads on the show this year, Ian, that weren't merely guests that we thought were interesting sort of for their independent ideas, but a lot of, I'll call it like selfish interviews this year, you know, like calling up Jason Long, calling up Eamon and calling up some of these guests that really had a message that we needed to hear. And so a little bit of that factor, a lot of these thoughts and guests that we had on this year really affected the way we were thinking about our business. So I think it was kind of a cool year in the podcast for that reason. Ready to move on? Today, I'm going to be speaking with Matt Paulson, who's based with his family in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. First had him on the show in 2012, when it was still called the Lifestyle Business Podcast, or the LBP. Believe it or not, he helped Ian and I fix a nightmare site server error, and we're still grateful for that. And since this time, Matt and I have continued to stay connected online the whole time. His side hustle at the time was running a web content company focused on financial websites and newsletters, which grew into MarketBeat. Over a decade later, Matt is now a highly successful investor in property and other assets. As you hear, I mean, Matt sent us an email recently talking about basically, here's what it's like to have enough money such that financial questions are solved for a lifetime in one sense. And that's sort of the point of Matt's email. 
was like, just because you've crossed the freedom line, which most people talk at $10 million, which Matt has well passed that, bringing up the concept that there's a lot more, that life looks a lot different past the freedom line and you think about money a lot different. So that's sort of the genesis of this talk, but we talked about a bunch of other things as well. So yeah, Ian, in the wake of this amazing email, Matt was already on our podcast production sheet as someone we wanted to talk to on this pod. We gave him a ring. Here's how it all went down. So MarketBeat is a financial media business. We publish news and information about the stock market. You can think of us as a newspaper, but we actually make money. So we're a mix of advertising and subscriptions. The revenue is heavily tilted towards advertising. Last year, we did about $25.5 million in revenue. This year, we'll probably be more like 22 or 23 because the stock market's down 20 or 30% this year. We have 14 employees, very high profit margin business, throws up a ton of cash, and I get to do a lot of fun stuff with that money. What would you say your breakdown between leader in the company is? You're still the CEO. I read mm-hmm. your letter. It says Matt Paulson, CEO versus investor. Time breakdown. I would say it's probably 70, 30 tilted toward market beat. I launched a venture capital fund last year with my buddy, Tim, and that started to skew it more towards the investor. Tim does is kind of the main guy in venture stuff. My other buddy, Kevin, is the main guy in real estate stuff. So they are really kind of the operating partners and I'm kind of the capital reputation. Let's go raise some money partner in those deals. You've been really open about your journey with entrepreneurship over the years. So I don't want to rehash the market beat story. I want yeah. to move on to some other stuff. But what I want, I am curious if we could like give you like a set of Legos or like to build a story for yourself about why your success was part of the 1% of outcomes for entrepreneurship and the rest of us are down in the 99. And your Lego pieces are like luck, timing, mm-hmm. individual skill set, founder fit, industry. How would you construct a narrative about why MarketBeat was so uniquely successful when most companies are just in the middle? I think being a founder that knows how to code helped a lot. Also being a founder that understands marketing and SEO, but also thinking about things from a very unique approach that most people, you know, I never approach things from head on. I'm not trying to build pillar content and rank it in Google like ever. It's what's the side door that I can sneak in and, and get traffic from. So for me, definitely like being able to like code my ideas into reality, understanding some of the marketing stuff, being able to understand funnels and you know, just kind of shady backdoor ways to like get website traffic kind of all what's together. What's some examples of shady backdoor ways? This is now we're talking. I mean, this is, this is known, <laughs> but like we were the first people to do like automated financial content in Google News and Google Finance yeah. 12 years ago. That got us to our first million dollar business and we grew from there and like, no, that strategy doesn't work anymore. Stop doing it, whatever. But that worked out awesome. And there's been more since then. Like we rank for most like publicly traded company names now. So you type in like Wells Fargo stock, we're typically on the first page. We've been able to figure out big news. Do you still care about that stuff, Matt? Or are you Mr. like team retreat and like putting a catchphrase up on the whiteboard and or are you still like walking into the meetings like, hey, this is an opportunity right now? I'm definitely in the weeds. Like we had a company retreat and I wasn't able to go because my wife was sick. So I was probably, you know, at home writing code. So I write code three days a week. I'm neck deep in our advertising stuff and always looking for opportunities to make a little bit more money somewhere. Why do you guys have a small team? 
I mean, there are other companies in our space that have like 100 or 200 people. And honestly, like, I just don't know what they all do. Like, <laughs> we, we have enough people for what we need to do and we automate so much. And like, we also don't do a lot of stuff that doesn't matter. Like, we don't have a TikTok account just because somebody told us we need a TikTok account because that's the hot thing, right? We try to get laser focused on the things that are going to make us money and not make us money and just kind of not do the things that every company feels like they should do, doesn't actually impact the bottom line. What actually makes money in the publishing business? Attention, eyeballs, and then a way to monetize them. So how many people can I get on an email list? How many people can I get an SMS opt-in for? How many people can I get to click allow on the browser notifications thing? Try to get more of those people and then find the right offers that will, those people will resonate with and make the connection. It's a really simple business. It's just really hard to do well at scale. We have this idea of lifestyle ladder, mm-hmm. which is nonlinear returns of cash in your personal bank account, essentially. <laughs> and I'm wondering if you could walk us through what some key waypoints are along the way. You wrote me an email when I was theoretically talking about the $10 million waypoint, which is what most people cite currently as like, oh, if I only had $10 million, like I wouldn't really need to work again. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if you could like even go backwards a little bit for us and talk about, are there moments before the $10 million mark that matter mm-hmm. for specific reasons? I think, you know, having a million dollars in your bank account is kind of the first real one because then you can tell people you're a millionaire and that's like a really good identity. But, you know, it's not enough to retire on and not enough to really do anything all that fun because you're just spend all your money right away. One private jet trip will cost you 40 grand and then you're, <laughs> you're done with that. And then as kind of the million dollar year waypoint, and that's where you, know, you actually have some cash flow to do fun things and you can spend your cash flow and, and not feel too bad about it. After that, like, unless you want to just do crazy stuff all the time and like fly private internationally and just go to the most exotic destinations and get the highest, you know, end hotel room, like you kind of run out of stuff to spend money on that's worth spending money on. And that's kind of where I'm at today. Like, yeah, I could buy everything in the Louis Vuitton catalog, but who cares? It's, there's still shoes, there's still wallets, there's still belts. It's not like a hundred times better than any other belt. It's just really how do you want to set up your life for kind of maximum enjoyment and impact? What are some things that are worth it, Matt? Like I have a friend who like mm-hmm. has like six coaches, you know, mm-hmm. that are basically yeah. like cost my income. <laughs> and I think for him, it's like, well, I, mm-hmm. I, my life kind of is denser and more mm-hmm. rapid. Mm-hmm. What's your version of that? I got zero coaches. For me, like we're building out an office that's going to cost me like 3 million bucks for the build out. And it's going to be really cool. And it's going to have like a speakeasy inside the office. And I spend eight, nine hours a day at work doing work stuff. So it's like, if I got a lake house, which you know you could do, like you're there maybe every other weekend, four or five months out of the year. But like at the office, I'm going to be there all day, every day, five days a week. So it's like, I want to have the coolest office I can have because I'm going to be there all the time. It's interesting, like I was going to ask you a question about like staying motivated, even after you've kind of like passed all these traditional markers of mm-hmm. success. And I was just reading a story, you know, Bob Iger just got back. He like only was away from Disney yeah. for two years. And he's like, mm-hmm. there's something about... It's playing the game. So if you win the Super Bowl and like you're the quarterback, what do those people want to do? They want to do it one again next ring. year. Yeah, it's <laughs> one more ring. They want to stay in the game. That's it. It's, you know, you've got the money and that's fine. but like. You love the game. You love being in business. You love playing the game and you just want to keep doing it. It's exciting to find new ways to succeed in business. And at some point, like the money is just kind of a scorecard, but you love playing the game so much, you just want to keep doing it. 
We got a new sponsor, everybody. It's Content Refined. Are you a website owner who doesn't have the time to manage your sites? Whether you have an affiliate site, an e-commerce store, or a website dedicated to your business, Content Refined can help. Content Refined provides hands-off content management, a dedicated project manager and editorial team, keyword research and content planning, high-quality SEO-optimized content, and publishing to your site. And what's better is they offer a free consultation to review your site's goals and create a long-term strategy for content creation. Their goal is always to increase your organic traffic and keyword rankings. And because you're listening to this today, Content Refined is offering a 20% discount to TMBA listeners. Just go to contentrefined.com slash TMBA to claim your discount now. That's contentrefined.com slash TMBA. And a big thanks to the team at Content Refined for sponsoring the TMBA podcast. One of the themes of your email, Matt, was that you started to amass wealth and you felt inclined to do things with it. And mm-hmm. then you said in retrospect, you would take a different strategy. I wonder if you could maybe talk us through like, let's go back to Matt 10 years ago and start to walk mm-hmm. through a different wealth strategy. What would it look like? When you start to get money, investment opportunity show up that normal people don't have access to and you think that they're better because normal people don't have access to them. What is the level that they show up? I've called this the wholesale investor yeah. level. When does that happen? Well, it's like when you've got doctor money. So you're making a few hundred thousand dollars a year. Maybe people around town kind of know you've got some money. That's when you start getting phone calls from people saying, hey, we've got this opportunity you might be interested in. Do you want to come to this presentation and hear about it? Turns out most of those deals are like not very good. So somebody hands you a PPM document, you should generally be very skeptical from... What's a PPM uh, document? Uh, it's called a private placement memorandum, but it's basically an, an outline of an, an investment that you can make that is typically for an accredited investor, meaning you make a few hundred grand a year. People hand you a PPM document because they're going to make money off you if you sign up for it. Sometimes these are real estate deals. Most of the time, they're like private equity business deals. Problem with them is a lot of times they don't work out. They're very illiquid. And then you just end up with a bunch of them and then you can't really get out of them. And it just kind of, every one of them becomes a K-1 return. So the cool thing to do eight years ago was uh, to join AngelList and like invest through AngelList syndicates. And like, yeah, it was fun. And I made a lot of cool 5K investments and most of them went to zero. One of them or two of them did really well. But I get like 50 K-1 documents a year I've got to send to my accountant that I've got to deal with because I made a $5,000 investment eight years ago. It's just like, is that really worth messing with? I think the answer is no. If I were to kind of start over with money from scratch, I would try to keep things really as simple as possible where I don't have to think about them. For me, that would be, you know, you do your basic stuff, your 401k, IRA, health savings account. And then after that, like stick to mostly kind of S&P 500 plus a little bit of bonds and not worry about it too much. Because you think because you have more money, you're more sophisticated and smarter but then you just end up getting stuck in deals that you can't really get out of, aren't liquid, and maybe they'll pay you someday, maybe they won't. Could you walk me through maybe the worst money decision you made thus far and then perhaps the best? I've had some deals that go to zero, lost hundred grand a shot doing that. The investments, mistakes that I've made over the years are investing in people like because you know them or because some smart person is invested in a deal Uh, or somebody famous is invested in a deal. It's like, well, if they're in it, then clearly it's a good deal. So maybe I should be in it too. 
investing in video because it's, you know, in my hometown, it's Sioux Falls Dio. It's like you want to see the hometown team succeed. So you write the check. And then turns out it wasn't a good company, goes to zero. So I've got a lot of battle scars from making bad investments over the years. And I think I've learned a lot because of them. A lot of folks write these $25,000 checks to be part of a club. There's sometimes mm-hmm. like, it's almost like a membership fee sometimes. Mm-hmm. Definitely there's that. But most of the time, it doesn't work out. What's one of the better decisions you've made? Me and my buddy Kevin bought a bunch of commercial real estate in like May of 2020. So we were able to borrow at like 3% interest rates when everyone was freaking out about COVID, rightfully so, of course. But we figured, well, people are still going to need housing. Interest rates were at historic lows. People thought, you know, the pricing was at its peak and it really wasn't. So commercial real estate, there's a lot of bridge. You put 20% down. So, you know, there are deals that maybe I put half a million into that are we sold today would be worth over a million and uh, generates tax benefits generates cash flow on top of that. You know, I have a couple of real estate deals where internal rate of return was, has been like 100% over the last couple of years. Every time I look at your Twitter feed, there's like some new random piece of real estate that you own. And you wrote a, a really nice thread three days ago on some of your real estate investing. New development and multifamily is where it's at. Can you yeah. walk us through some of your inspiration behind this thread and let us know mm-hmm. your hard-earned insights here. I think the most interesting Twitter threads are based on experience. And then I kind of realized like, oh, I've got 20 million in equity in real estate and I've never tweeted about it or like what I've learned. So when you say 20 million in equity, what does that mean? That means I put $20 million in cash into it. Got it. And so, but you actually own a lot more than that yeah. in terms of market value. Yeah, it'd be over a hundred million. Like there's buildings popping up all around Sioux Falls with your name on it, basically. Yes. So our brand is called Creston Properties or Creston Capital. And we build apartment complexes and strip malls. And thankfully, like there's a whole team that kind of does all the work. My job is to help find, you know, one, write the check or help find the money for other investors that want to get into deals. And let me just ask a primary question. Why? Because this is a fascinating world to me. I Mm -hmm. see these buildings, roads, Mm -hmm. infrastructure, restaurants, hotels everywhere, Matt. Like, but Mm -hmm. I don't know why they happen. But you're part of the reason. So why? Why even do this? It's a business deal. I mean, it's... So if you want to stay wealthy, I think you have to put money into things that are most likely going to work, hard to screw up, and it has to be a liquid so that you don't F with it whenever your, your mood changes, right? We've all sold our stocks when the market's gone down. But if you have something that's historically kind of proven as an asset class, you know, it's going to make money over time, save on taxes. Like that's how you stay wealthy is by putting money in good deals that you can't screw up due to your bad behavior and your psychology. So you put $20 million into real estate. And the third lesson you're pointing out, new development and multifamily mm-hmm. is where it's at. What do you mean? Yeah. Well, we put money into some strip malls, into like some standalone restaurant, like Starbucks kind of buildings. And multifamily and like multifamily is what's made us all the money. The returns are the best. The other kind of cool thing about it is you can get like an interest only period on the loan. So say you build a new apartment complex, you might only pay interest for the first three or five years of it. So you can basically get your initial investment back or like 70% of it back and still own the apartment complex and then put that money into a new deal. Uh, The other kind of thing is you can build these things for at least two years ago, you could build them for less than they sell for. So, you know, if you build it for 150,000 a unit and 
they would sell for 170,000 a unit. You know, you've made 20,000 a unit on, on these things. What's the constraint in the system? Is it simply capital? Is that how you were able to get involved? It seems like there's a lot of different functions involved. There's government, there's mm-hmm. contractors, there's property managers, mm-hmm. you know, how does it all come together? Yeah, it's definitely a, it's a business and you have to understand the business to do it well. So I was fortunate enough to get introduced to my business partner in it at the right time. And he had sold his business, knew a lot about real estate. And it was, we both kind of figured out in 2020, 2019, 2020, that like rates were not going to be what they are forever. And the smart play was to buy and build as quickly and as fast as you could while rates are at like 3%. And now like if we want to borrow money today, they'd be at 6 or 7%. And like you think that's not much of a difference, but like in commercial real estate, like that's kind of the, will break a deal, you know, that difference in interest rate. I got into it because I found the right partner at the right time, the right opportunity. Like normally, like, you know, you hear about real estate, you always get handed a PPM document and say, yeah, you should invest in our syndication. That's going to make us money and you a little bit of money. And it's just like, I don't want to do that. I want to be a general partner. I want to be the big deal because I've got the money to be the big deal. So I just needed to find the right guy. And I, I did find the right guy to do it. Was it scary at all? to do that first deal where you put, I mean, we're talking about big numbers here. No, I don't think so. Because I studied the capital, the performa. I did a bunch, of, a bunch of research and learned everything there was to learn about the guy I was getting into business with. And, you know, it was one deal and a couple months later, it's another deal. And here we are kind of three years into this process. And now we've got, I think, 28, 29 properties together. What's changed now that the interest rates have changed? Has the opportunity dried up? Yes. There are deals that we would have absolutely bought a year ago that we won't touch now because the math doesn't make sense anymore. Because if you've got a $20 million project, 3.5% interest rate on that is maybe 700000 a year. But you know, a 6% interest rate would be a million to a year. It really changes like the amount of income the properties need to generate. Prices are kind of too high. The rents aren't high enough yet or there's not like a new equilibrium where deals start to make sense again. So I think for the next 12 to 18 months, things are just going to kind of be seized up. Not a lot of new stuff's going to happen. The stuff that's already been financed will be just fine. So I think for 2023, I think we're looking at maybe one new deal we're going to do and it's buying an existing complex that just got built and the other people that built it like couldn't get financing for it. So that's created an opportunity for us. But we're all the stuff we were looking at, like it's going to be on pause because you can't finance it at a number that makes sense. What is the bear case for real estate? Because it it does feel like it's the obvious thing to do for the wealthy in America. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If interest rates stay high for a long period of time, that will screw us when it comes time to refinance. If the population of Sioux Falls where I live and have all these apartments at like levels offer goes down, uh, that would be bad. But our community has grown by 6% a year for the last 20 years. So I'm not too worried about that. I think, you know, in the boom and bust that happens with real estate, the United States has two real estate markets. There's kind of the, the very cyclical markets in the hot, hot communities like Miami and Orlando and uh, Scottsdale and, you know, Los Angeles, where like real estate is either like super, super hot or it is just down in the dumps and nobody wants it. So when you buy at a peak and then there's a valley, like you, that's where people get screwed. But there are a lot of kind of the metros that are like 50th to 200th in population in the country where, you know, maybe it's 75,000 to a quarter million people live there. 
that are very linear and just kind of slowly up and to the right. You're not going to have the massive appreciation that you would if you time like a California deal right. But, you know, it's over the course of 10 or 20 years, you're going to come out awesome on the deal. As founders of remote companies, we all face hiring challenges like hiring today instead of next week or next quarter, scaling our teams quickly, and even just defining what we want in a candidate, where to find them, how much to pay them, and how to recruit them. There's a lot of questions. Hiring's complicated, but it doesn't need to be with RemoteFirstRecruiting.com. It's a service from our team where we help founders like you solve these hiring hangups. Even if you're not hiring today, you got to take advantage of our 15-minute free strategy call. It's with our senior recruiter, Greg Valentine. He's not a sales guy. He's a senior recruiter, industry expert, and he's helped place hundreds of remote candidates and companies just like yours. He can discuss with you the patterns we're seeing in the marketplace, share with you case studies, and talk about how you can build a rock-solid hiring strategy. Hiring doesn't need to be hard. Let our team do the heavy lifting. TMBA listeners, take advantage of this strategy call. It's a simple way to grow a better business. So head on over to our site, remotefirstrecruiting.com, where we believe hiring the right talent is the best way to grow a great remote business. Schedule a call with our team today at remotefirstrecruiting.com. Speaking of locations, one of the things I wanted to ask you about was your city. And if you could talk about, it's a big theme in your writings over the years. I'm curious if you could talk about it, what it means to you. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people in your situation might keep a nominal residence, but would ultimately diversify to a larger place. I'm curious as to why you haven't done that. Sioux Falls is a very unique community in that there is kind of a history of business leaders that have really given back to the community in just huge, huge ways, like written eight to nine figure checks to like the local hospitals and universities and nonprofits. And there's this great tradition of people kind of caring for the community and giving back and finding ways to make it a better place. And you don't see that everywhere. And a lot of bigger cities, it's every person for themselves. And here we kind of call it this concept like Team Sioux Falls. We're all on Team Sioux Falls. We're all trying to make the city a better place. You know, we're not a big community. We don't have the resources of a major metro. So all the business leaders in town, like we get together, like every five years, we raise 15 to $20 million through this thing called Ford Sioux Falls that funds economic development projects. And like, sometimes we're even inviting competitors to town, but we kind of feel like the theory is that if we all help make the community a better place, you know, the rising tide will lift all boats. Have you seen the benefits? I mean, one of the things I've always questioned is I see your writings about oh, we're doing an incubator, we're doing like entrepreneurship. And I'm wondering like, mm-hmm. what kind of entrepreneurs are going, what's happening up there? <laughs> yeah, so like two blocks from here, we took an old brick building, we're turning it into like a co-working and incubation space. And it's the type of deal where you have no idea whether it's going to work or not. But it felt like it was a deal worth trying because our Chamber of Commerce and our Development Foundation had tried a very corporate version of it 20 years ago and it never really worked right. So I thought, well, what if we get a bunch of entrepreneurs in a room and like did this in a way that like scrappy founders would do it and see if it works then. But you know, incubators don't make money. Co-working spaces don't make money. They're never going to make money on WeWork and make money. Certainly the thing I'm going to do isn't going to make any money. And like, that's okay. But it's kind of a fun way to have a place where you can go connect with that next generation of entrepreneurs and 
maybe give them some advice and, you know, you know, most of them are going to fail, but maybe there'll be one gal or one guy that really crushes it. And maybe you feel it's worth it because of that. The thing I had written right after location was kids and family Mm -hmm. and, you know, really presses the location question. Mm -hmm. But also there is a concern when you grew up in a modest Mm -hmm. household, how do you think about your children relative to like now dad is big baller guy in Mm -hmm. town? My strategy is to create as normal of a childhood as possible for my children. So we, like our house costs half a million dollars. It's not like a multi-million dollar house, 3,000 square feet. You know, I walk my kids to elementary school every morning. We fly places, we fly private, and we stay in fancier hotel rooms. But like the day-to-day is pretty normal kid to them. Like my kid plays Fortnite with his buddies, plays with his friends from down the street. And I think if I can not set unrealistic expectations about what life is like when they're young that'll carry over to when they're adults. So I've really tried hard to like keep things very just normal and at the level that, you know, a household that maybe makes a quarter million a year would live at. That's interesting. So you have like uh, your office isn't like the 1%, but your home Mm -hmm. is like in the fold. Like your kind of day-to-day domestic life is in the fold. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of by design. My kid gets to do some fun things, but I also want him to have a very normal kid experience. The best thing my parents did for me when I was a kid is they gave me a computer when I was like 12 and said, here you go, have fun. We connected to the internet. We don't really know what the internet is, but we think it's going to be something. So have fun with it. And just having kind of lots of free time to explore the internet and learn what I could learn like was a formative thing for me. And part of the reason that I'm I'm successful as I am today. So I thought, well, well, how can I do that for my kid, but also in a way that doesn't screw their life up? On that note, I wanted to ask you about some personal habits, specifically your information diet. So, you know, mm-hmm. you tweeted, you're listening to My First Million. You sent me an email. You're hate listening to the TMBA. I've been hate listening to this podcast since 2009. I'm curious, like a lot of people speculate about the information habits of wealthy people, myself included, because I do think it's an interesting opportunity for entrepreneurs to create mm-hmm. content that market makers, influential people consume. What sort of things do you like to consume and read regularly? Yeah. So I stopped reading business books because I feel like most of them just say the same things over and over again. I do listen to podcasts, including this one. I love My First Million. I love The Acquired Podcast. Two more podcasts that I love would be, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't say The All In Podcast. I feel like yeah. every, everybody's got to listen to that these days. Totally. And then there's a great real estate podcast called The Apartment Investors Club Podcast. That's oh, nice. definitely worth checking out if you're interested in real estate. Another podcast called Business Breakdowns. Just go through the business models of all these international companies and like what they do and like even like boring stuff like Planet Fitness. Like how does Planet Fitness work? Like how does that business work? What's the bull case for them? What's the bear case for them? Really interesting. I watch a lot of pro wrestling videos on YouTube. That's good entertainment. Nice. I watch people like stream Hearthstone. It's a like Magic the Gathering on the internet. YouTube deep dives are a fascinating topic. I just love YouTube. I could, I, something I haven't revealed much on this podcast, but for me, it's like television, forget it. Like I okay, love watching well, chess streamers, for example. Nice. Like I just love like learning the London system and sitting there for a couple hours and like how the moves break down and just, I could probably list 15 things like that. I've been following you on Twitter for a very long time, I believe, or I've just been following you forever. But it seemed like at a certain point, you were like, I'm going to do this Twitter thing. And I'm curious as to like what your relationship is to the service and social media in general. Yeah, I'm still trying to figure it out. 
I've got like 65,000 followers, but most of them are because earlier in the year, I was like doing 10 grand a month and like paid follow campaigns to see if that would work to grow. And it did, but it's like two or three dollars follower. And I'm like, ah, it's probably not worth it. Uh, so I stopped oh, wow. doing that. But you spent how much money getting followers on Twitter? Oh, at least 25 grand, probably more. Oh, wow. Where do you, you get these guys on uh, Fiverr or you go to like... No, like I bought Twitter ads. Like you do the promoter oh. post and then you like set the thing as followers and see what no happens. No way. It kind of worked, but like, how do I get to a million? Like that, that's what I don't know. Or even right. get to 200,000 without like just spending gobs and gobs of money on promoting tweets. So if anybody knows that, hit me up. I've had really fun interacting like... I've kind of figured out that like my sweet spot for content creation is like two to 300 word blog post. Nobody blogs anymore. So you just put it on LinkedIn and Facebook and Twitter. For a while, like I, I used to do like a weekly five to 800 word blog post and stopped doing that probably a couple of years ago because, well, I feel like blogging is kind of dead. So I'll move to social media. So I, every now and then I just get inspired and, and write. I'm hopefully going to turn that into a Twitter following at some point. Matt. You spent a lot of time writing over the years, writing books, writing tweets, going on podcasts, going to conferences, inspiring the next generation, putting your money where your mouth is. This is the last hardest question. What general advice do you have for founders who are having a tough time getting over the hump and want to achieve some of the success that you've achieved in your career? For me, it's to focus on things that make you money. Don't worry about bookkeeping accounting. Like people tell you to worry about that stuff. Don't worry about it until like you've got actually money to make. Don't worry about education as much. Don't worry about the podcast. Don't worry about the books. Where am I making money and how can I do that better? What is that critical path of like, how do customers become aware of my business? How do I cook them in? How do I just get the sale? How do I deliver that? Just focus on that exclusively and like not on anything else. Just like leave everything else alone with like reckless abandon until you like get that figured out. Because there's a lot of stuff we all get distracted with. And if you can kind of stay focused on the main thing until like it's working, you know, that's kind of how I've done it. Matt Paulson, thanks for joining us on the TMBA podcast. Big shout out to Matt Paulson for sharing with us where he's at. It was a super enjoyable chat, Ian. You can check out his work over at mattpaulson.com. I love his about page, by the way. It says, and I don't think he wrote this with AI. I believe that entrepreneurship is the best way to achieve financial prosperity gain more personal freedom, and fund charitable efforts across the globe. Amen. That's what the Tropical MBA is all about as well. We agree. Final thought here, Dan. Just so you know, of course, I had to go to the AI chatbot and ask it one of the most important questions of our time, which is, what is the most popular or best sports car from the 90s? Can you guess? Uh, It listed three. The Porsche 911 993. No. Well, then AI still hasn't overtaken its human. It has not overtaken. But it did say the Mazda Miata is one of the cars. So I have to agree. Yep, exactly. All right. (laughs) That's it, everybody. We'll be back next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern time. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.